Welcome in, everybody. Episode 34 of Mad Talk Sports. This is your usual host, Joe, joining you here today. And we've actually got breaking news right upon time of recording here. So we'll be getting into that here shortly. But episode 34 is none other than the Giannis episode. That being said, it's a football heavy day. And by heavy, I mean entirely. So we do have the breaking news that I teased there. We do have some other preseason talking points to get into as we get into the final week and a half, two weeks here before real football. And then we've got a few games here to play, some some droughts in the NFL that may or may not end this year. We do have the next segment of our list and another divisional preview as we get to the NFC South here today. So thank you for joining in and let's get right to it with said breaking news. Trey Lance. So everyone's probably been watching the Trey Lance news unfold really over, over the past two, three years since he's been drafted during the 2020 draft, but it really reached its ultimate conclusion in San Francisco as he has been traded. He is no longer a San Francisco 49er. Trey Lance is a Dallas Cowboy. For the price tag of, you think he went for a premium quarterback? No, he was a third string on the depth chart. So he went for a fourth round pick, which is surprising that it happened in general. Before we get to the Cowboys part, let's stick to Trey Lance. So one, it's surprising that it happened because it's well known that the 49ers had the injury bug really all the time. But specifically last year, as they went from Trey Lance to Jimmy Garoppolo, to Brock Purdy, to Josh Johnson, to Christian McCaffrey to some degree, then back to Brock Purdy with one arm. With that, you'd think they'd want some insurance, but I think they really wanted to close the cover. They wanted the book done. They were done with the Trey Lance experiment, however short it was. And it's a little baffling that things really played out this way. A lot of people have touched on it as far as like, what were they thinking that last year, this time he was unquestioned number one to where Jimmy G wasn't going to be on the team. He was seeking trades to not even a full year later and zero real football action. You give him off. Like he's someone who you were planning to cut, which maybe they were. Maybe that's why they made the move is because they had no place for him Sam Darnold won the number two job throughout this preseason and training camp. So it's still surprising. Everything included, because I still remember that draft. I remember them trading up to the number three spot, and that was like, oh, my, what is San Francisco doing? They're getting a quarterback, right? And that's going to be so dangerous when they find their guy, when they don't just have a mediocre guy, when they have someone tailor-made for Kyle Shanahan. And the Trey Lance pick was a shocker. I remember being 100% certain they were taking Mac Jones, and then that didn't happen. I don't know if that would change things, but just from where we were on draft night with Trey Lance to where we are today is utterly shocking because not only is he being traded for chips, he's being traded to the Dallas Cowboys, which won America's team, so it's a huge headline. But two, he's not even going to play. He's going to be a backup to Dak. Is he... Dak insurance, should he go down? Is this more evidence that the Cowboys are really all in on this year to where if Dak goes down like he did last year, remember that, they're not turning to no-name McGee. They're turning to someone with some upside, some flash potential to them. Maybe that's it. 
Or maybe it's just a simple, you know, like in fantasy football, best person on the board. I couldn't pass this person up for the price that they're at. Maybe it's a little bit of that. But in general, it's it's shocking news. I was not expecting Trey Lance to get moved this soon, let alone to the Cowboys, to a team with a bona fide top 10 quarterback. And yes, bona fide top 10 is where Dak Prescott is. So Definitely a shocking development when it comes to the way things unfolded here with Trey Lance. I'll really be curious to see if we'll ever get a chance to see him suit up as a Dallas Cowboy in regular season football. But that's that's about it for the Trey Lance news. Without spending 20 minutes diving into like who's to blame for this, what is the what is the ultimate downfall or what are the the ripple effects of the move without getting into that, that's for another time. We have a lot more to get into here today, but specifically we're going to stay on the trade side because another piece of news, not like breaking news, this just happened, but more speculation, more conjecture is that teams are poking around for Chris Jones. Chris Jones, the Kansas city chiefs defensive superstar has been inquired upon. And it seems like talks are getting legitimate specifically the Chicago Bears, which, oh my, my first gut reaction was, let's say, fear as a Packers fan because Chris Jones is an absolute game wrecker. And we will get to game wreckers later on today in our list, spoiler alert, that we are going through interior linemen on the defensive side of the ball. But Chris Jones, if he were to go to Chicago, oh my, That would be like, you know, they had just, they're building, right? They were the number one pick last year. They made all these smart offseason moves. They traded out of the number one spot for more picks in the future. They were slowly building. But if they made this move, they would go from the slow rebuild to absolutely just nuking it, microwaving it to a ready-to-make, let's go win the division right now. I'm not saying that that's the level that they'd be at if that came to fruition. But that's kind of what would be happening there is – you make that type of a move to win. And that is a player that helps you win right now. And as a defensive lineman, especially in the interior, him being 29 years old, not really a concern. Not really. He'd still have a good four years left in him. And in the NFL, that's that's a long time. So that move would be absolutely fantastic for the Bears, even with whatever assets you'd have to give up. I would imagine somewhere in the range of like a first and a third, for draft capital is what I would expect the chiefs to be wanting in return for such a superstar, maybe even a little bit more. So it is a heavy price, but don't forget the bears did do this last time that they were in the process of rebuilding with a quarterback when they traded for Khalil Mack. So very, very interesting situation there. And I don't think it'll happen. I I feel like the chiefs have to know the value of Chris Jones because after Patrick Mahomes, it's, you know, I think Chris Jones is more valuable than even Travis Kelsey, who is the greatest tight end of all time or close to it. To me, he's probably second behind Gronk still. But that being said, Chris Jones is what makes that defense go. He is the centerpiece for all that they do. That defense goes from a top 10 unit to a very middle of the pack unit, which you feel is forgivable because you have you have Patrick Mahomes, you have an offensive minded head coach genius in Andy Reid. But let's not forget, defense still wins championships. You do need both, at least to some degree, if you want to win at the highest level. I think it would be a massive, 
massive mistake for the Chiefs to do this, especially considering you already got off of Tyreek and didn't have to pay him. You don't have to double down and get rid of another really good player for the same reasons. You don't have to. He's so important to your team. Get a deal done. Lock him in for the years to come. And again, really, really finish the dynasty, that path that you're on right now. So I think absolutely this, you know, this would be a massive move, but there is, there's no chance that I see this coming to fruition here. Another trade. This one is more talked about, not as fresh. This one's more like been out there and that's Jonathan Taylor. So the Colts did give him permission to seek a trade. And let's rewind a couple of weeks when really all of that mess was starting to come to light. It was starting to come to our attention with how bad things were between JT and the Indianapolis Colts. So with that, we, I personally was, I'm not touching that. Let's see where things go over the next couple of weeks here before we actually give a real take. And now I think it's pretty certain that that relationship is broken. I don't think there is a way back from it. I don't think you can recover from it from either side of the coin because the distrust and the level of at least feeling disrespect, I don't believe you can fix that unless you were willing to give him a four-year contract, which we know running backs aren't getting. So that news, I think, is something that is very real. And he has been, again, given permission to seek a trade and find a destination, a partner for him. There's been a few. I think the rumor most recently is, or the report, I should say, is that two teams have come to the table already with trade packages. They gave Jonathan Taylor till Tuesday to find a suitable partner that will give them the package that they desire. So that does coincide with cut day in the NFL, and that's no accident. (laughs) The Colts need to know what they're doing with their roster. So that is exactly why they made that decision. And trade partners, the Bears come up again as far as potential teams that might be poking around. Maybe the Chiefs can do that. I I really struggle to put my finger on one person, one place that makes sense. I guess you could say the bears because they do have a need there as far as running back. And again, it would be, you know, oven baking. No, not oven, baking, microwave baking, what they're doing now to get to where they want to go faster. So if that is the route that they're going to go, either him or Chris Jones makes a lot of sense. But if you are committed to this slow build and doing it right, don't do either. But we, we will see on the Bears front. I don't know if either of those moves will come to fruition. Very aggressive. But then you start to look at the rest of the league, and there's not a lot of spots that make sense. Staying in the NFC North, the Packers make zero sense. Two really strong running backs with Jones and Dillon. The Lions, two strong running backs with Montgomery and Gibbs. They've invested a lot in there already. There's zero chance there. Vikings is interesting. I would doubt it since you just moved off of Dalvin Cook because you didn't want to pay him. Now, JT is younger, so there is that, but I don't see it there. NFC South, no team in that division I think would make sense really. None, no, zero. NFC East, likewise, I don't think a team makes sense. And then you start really getting into teams that aren't in the move to where or in the space to where they should be making a move to try to win. Yeah, Cardinals could use Jonathan Taylor, obviously, but they're not ready to win. Not now, not next year, not. The Rams is a sneaky one. Rams is one that is definitely interesting. I don't know if they would do that, especially because now they seem to be valuing their picks a little bit more than they have in the past with the F them picks days, but that's an interesting one. 
And then across the AFC, I can't think of really any true suitors unless the Dolphins are willing to pay up, which I don't think they are. I think they're interested. But I don't think the Colts are interested in what they have to offer because the Colts, I believe, want an elite-level trade package, which is contradicting and very, let's say, paradoxical to the stance that they have with JT, to where they're like, we're not going to value you as a top-tier asset to our team. But if we give you away, they've got a value like that and pay us like you are that. So kind of sitting both sides of the fence there for the Colts. I don't think they're going to get what they want. And I think they're going to be stuck with JT for a year and maybe he won't play at all because, again, that relationship is utterly broken. So that one that one stinks, especially for fantasy owners. Personally, I am not touching Jonathan Taylor unless you were to land somewhere like the Rams, for instance. But in more positive news, in the in the preseason, we're almost wrapped up. Final games are this weekend. And even before we wrapped up, we did get some starters announced, specifically Baker Mayfield and Sam Howell, the, the quarterbacks that will be new faces. Uh, one of them in a familiar place, though, with Sam Howell having some, some sort of rapport in Washington, though with the addition of Eric Bieniemy and all the changes that they've had as an organization from an ownership standpoint, it's it's kind of a different place altogether for him too. But with both of them starting now, I, I wonder if they will play in the final preseason game. But specifically looking at comparing the two, Baker and Howell, I wanted to look into which is going to be better in their chance as a starter. For Baker, this is part one, two, three, four as a starter, while Howell, this is his first real gig. So I really wonder, they're both in the NFC, both in divisions that are, eh, let's not say winnable, because you know Howell's not, the commanders aren't competing for the East, but they can compete for the playoffs, the playoff wild card. And the Bucks definitely can compete for a very soft division. But when comparing them directly, it's very interesting to look at it because one has a clear advantage when it comes to coaching. And that's going to be Howell over Baker because Howell, if you recall, has Eric Bieniemy as the offensive quarter nowadays, while the Buccaneers did let go of Leftwich last year. So major advantage Howell there. Then you go to weapons and it gets a little closer. I'd say I still give it to the Bucs because Mike Evans and Godwin are so elite. So I would give them the nod there. And then you go to offensive line. I, I think that would be a wash. Defense, they both have a lot of pieces. I wonder if they can put it together. So it is really going to come down to these quarterbacks in terms of which of these teams will be better. I would say if I had to choose – which team will have more wins in 2023? I'm going to go with the Commanders. And I have not been very high on them, but I have been starting to come around with the progression of Howell and Eric Bieniemy really putting his hands on all over that offense. His fingerprints are going to be seen everywhere, and it should be good. Scary Terry McLaurin is a very nice receiver. And then if you look at Jahan Dotson, he should make a jump. At running back, they've got Gibson. They've got Brian Robinson coming back. Like They should be able to make some noise as far as at least from an offensive standpoint. And that defense has a lot of talent. Buccaneers still have a lot of talent too. We're going to get more into them later on today with the divisional previews. 
but I just don't trust the coaching staff, the decision-making there in Tampa. I really, really don't. And going from Tom Brady to Baker is a huge, huge difference. So a lot of question marks regardless. If I had to choose, I'm taking Howell by a hair, not by much. But if I absolutely had to, that is where I would go. But either way, it's been great to see them in preseason action. But the return of preseason as a whole has been a fantastic win for the NFL. Aaron Rodgers will be starting in the Jets' final preseason game, which I love. He has not played since 2018, which, as Packer fans, we are very well aware about that. And then you saw that across the the rest of the team in Green Bay and the rest of the league. This was really a Sean McVay thing to to really start that trend when it comes to not playing your starters because he had success with it. But I there is value in playing your starters in you know eleven on eleven with pads, playing to the ground and playing with a clock, playing with noise in the crowd, getting used to moving the chains, all of it. And it's beneficial for the coaches to really get used to real play calling situations to where, yes, you can simulate some of that. You can in those uh, joint practices, even in your own practices as a team. But the pressure is missing. The, the, the pulse on where the game is going, that's missing. And that is such an important part of coaching is the pulse. You can be a brilliant mind offensively, defensively. You can be an expert game clock manager. You can be the best at successfully challenging plays and motivating your team, but you have to have a pulse for where things are going. When do you need to dial it back as an offense? When do you need to sit on your lead? When do you need to press on defense? When do you need to blitz? When do you need to stunt? When should you switch away from what's been working, even if they haven't beaten it yet? Like having a pulse for what to call and where, how to do it and why is something you simply cannot simulate except in real game action. So I love it. And it's something to where we've gotten a chance as fans to, again, get a sneak peek at this new Packers offense. We got a chance to look into the Broncos, and then we'll see Rodgers on the Jets, which will be nice. And really across the league, for the most part, we've seen more, which is, again, a massive W for the NFL. Enough about preseason, though. This is like, you know, in fantasy, I've said this a lot because I'm, you know, perfect example of it. But after the draft is when there are, you know, what are you in it? 10 person league, 12 person league. There are 12 championship rosters after a draft. Everyone thinks their team is great. You don't see the flaws. You see the good. You see what can this team do? Can I end my title drought? Can I bring home the cash this year? Like a lot of potential. Can I break the streaks that I have that are negative? Like all roses, all sunshine and rainbows when it comes to, you know, after the draft. And NFL preseason is much like that because it's a clean slate. Yeah, you have some idea for some of your team's flaws, but for the most part, you're excited. You think you think of the world of your team and where it can continue to go. You like the attitude. You like the talent you've seen in, in one-on-ones, in, in team drills, in preseason. You all you see is the good, but it's not going to last forever. But with that being said, there are some teams that have to be immensely hopeful that their droughts will come to an end. They are praying for rain, and that is the next segment we're going to get in here today is playing for rain, uh, praying for rain. As the, the droughts have been real 
for these teams. They have really been, uh, let's say, evident or obvious. And starting starting at one people necessarily think about, I saw this the other day, there are five teams that have, have had the longest drought since the last time they had a Pro Bowl quarterback. A Pro Bowl quarterback, which if you think about it, it's not that hard. Tyler Huntley was in the Pro Bowl. Uh, Mitch Trubisky was in the Pro Bowl. Like Mac Jones even. Like it's not the most difficult thing in the world, but the Broncos, not since 2014. And that's, you know, that's already coming up on 10 years ago. The Jets even longer, 2008. The Browns, 07. The Niners, 2002. That one is surprising. But maybe the most shocking because it's just so long is the Dolphins since 1995. That's a long time to go without a, a Pro Bowl quarterback. We're not talking all pro. We're not talking MVP. We're not talking getting to the Super Bowl. We are talking making the NFL Pro Bowl. So what we're going to do is rank them by most likely to end that drought this year. Not in the next five. This year. And this was difficult because let's look at these teams individually. There is a lot of excitement, again, around these teams especially. Starting with the Jets. First and foremost, you just brought in Aaron Rodgers. Aaron freaking Rodgers, four-time MVP Aaron Rodgers, probably, what, 10 Pro Bowls by this time. you got to be ending your drought, right? The Broncos, you brought in Russell Wilson last year, perennial Pro Bowler, and now you have Sean Payton. So a lot of reason for optimism there with your quarterback to end this simple drought. The Dolphins with Tua, like you'd think last year he was on a path before the concussions caught up to him, but this year he should be presumably healthy with some of the best weapons in the entire league and offensive genius at, at head coach. A lot of upside there. The Niners, Brock Purdy in year two, if he carries on last year, he's he's looking really good to break that break into that. And then lastly, the Browns, obviously they gave up a ton of draft capital and money to Deshaun Watson to come in and be a Pro Bowl quarterback. So for these teams, there's a lot of reason for optimism there in terms of why they can do that, which is why it's so interesting that they are the five longest streaks. We're not talking, you know, Panthers on here to where it's you're not quite as much intrigue, you know, number one pick and everything there too. But this list is very unique because they've all invested a lot in the quarterback position. The Niners invested a lot and traded that away and somehow still make out to be okay. But going from the the likelihood of this, number five, I had to go with the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson. And it's going to come off, or it may come off, it may be read as negative in terms of my viewpoint there, but let me explain it. I do like the Broncos and the direction that they're heading as a team. They're hard to predict. They're one of the biggest wild cards in the league. And I think Russell Wilson will be better. I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I think he's still borderline top 10. I am not out on him by any means, but look at the quarterbacks in the AFC. You've got Aaron Rodgers is in there now. Deshaun Watson's back now. Lamar Jackson, former MVP, Joe Burrow. You got, you got Tua, who's going to be on this list here too. You got Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, oh, I feel like I'm missing people. A lot of other electric quarterbacks that are rising, such as you know Anthony Richardson or even like a Kenny Pickett. So even if Russ is back to cooking to some degree and the Broncos are good, there's not a lock by any means to get a Pro Bowl quarterback. And the same goes for Deshaun Watson. 
I think the difference here is that Deshaun Watson has more weapons to play with. So that's why I put him more likely. It's not necessarily that I think he's better. I think it's very close between those two. But why I have Watson and the Browns lower than Tua and the Dolphins, besides the weapons part of it, is twofold. Play style. And this goes for the Broncos as well. The Broncos and the Browns will emphasize running the ball. They will. Sean Payton really puts an emphasis there. They've got Javante Williams. They brought in Samaj P. Ryan. Not world beaters as far as the backfield there, but they invested in that O-line too with run-blocking O-linemen. So I really think they are going to run the ball, which will help Russ in his effectiveness, but maybe not his stats. Likewise for the Browns, you have the best running back in football, Nick Chubb, and you're a running football team. So it's going to hurt Watson's stats to some degree. While the Dolphins, it seems like they get bored of running the ball and they just want to throw, throw, throw. And then the other part of it too is that to some degree for very, very different reasons, Russ and Deshaun Watson have a little bit of a sour perspective on them from a media and general public standpoint. Obviously, Russ is more for him being cringe, while Watson is more so for the, let's say, off-field misgivings, to put it as lightly as I can. Because of that, Tua will have some level of a leg up on them. Number two, Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers. He is not as good as the three quarterbacks lower than him on this list, but he's not competing in the AFC. He's not. And his conference got easier for quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers is gone. Tom Brady, he's gone. Kyler Murray, he's hurt. Matt Stafford coming back from an injury. Who knows how he'll look? Really, the only locks are, let's say, Jalen Hurts and Dak. Everyone else has at least somewhat of a question mark around them. So they come in at two, not necessarily because of the, again, the talent, but because of the circumstances behind it. And the number one, Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. And I know you could say like, you know, the Aaron, you know, the, the AFC is tough on quarterback. Why isn't this the case for the Jets and for Aaron Rodgers? Well, the answer is he's Aaron Rodgers. He's going to get a some level of a automatic bump up just because he's Aaron Rodgers. Like he's had years in Green Bay where he probably didn't deserve the Pro Bowl based on his production and his numbers. But because he's Aaron Rodgers, he gets the nod over a, a Kirk Cousins or a, a Jared Goff, whoever it might be. So I do think the Jets and Aaron Rodgers will have a very good year. I think Rodgers will have the narrative going for him too. New team, new coach, obviously, new personnel and everything, new city and a new energy and a bounce back from last year. I think that paired with lifting a franchise from a franchise from the depth of despair, that will go a long way in his case for making it into the Pro Bowl. So the Jets and Aaron Rodgers make it at number one for me. Now the next one, we have some returning teams on on this aspect for the the praying for rain here and the droughts in the NFL, and this is this is the playoff drought. So the Jets and the Broncos are both returning. The the five teams on here, these are the only teams not to make the playoffs since the year 2020 or sooner, which one is impressive that the league has that, that that level of parity to where 27 out of 32 teams have made it in the past three, four years here. That being said, the Jets have not made it since 2011. That's the longest stretch in the league right now, and it's not close because the next closest is the Broncos at 2016. 
followed by the Lions in 2017. People forget that they were, you know, six years ago is a long time, but it, it also doesn't feel that long ago if you really think about it. Then the Falcons and Panthers tie each other at 2018 as far as the last time that they were in. So with these teams, it is tricky because you again have to consider AFC versus NFC. And that is why, unfortunately, the Broncos come in at five again. And part of the reason is the fact that, you know, yes, AFC as a whole, but also the Chiefs and the Chargers didn't just leave the AFC West. You still have to play four of your games are against them. And you're still, again, in the AFC. You're playing a hard schedule. It's going to be hard. You are better than two, maybe three of the teams on this list. But because the AFC is so thick, and now Jerry Judy is a little banged up here to start the year. Who knows how Javante Williams is going to start as well. And maybe it takes some time for Russ to get cooking with Sean Payton. They come in at five, even though they're miles ahead of four and three in terms of the caliber of their rosters. But unfortunately, they come at five. It's the, it's the sad reality of living in the AFC in 2023. Three and four, you could flip these any way you want based on your preference between Falcons and Panthers two weeks ago, I would have said Panthers because I liked how they ended last year with their defense. I am a fan of Bryce young, but I'd say from what I have seen, I like the Falcons a little bit better. I like the young weapons that they have. And we'll get into these teams a little bit later in the, the top down preview of the division for the NFC South, but I like the Falcons better because the, the young weapons that they have, and they brought in some pieces on defense that'll help. I think the Panthers' defense is still better, but I would give the Falcons a, a very, very slight edge here in more likely to end the playoff drought. And they're both, again, above the Broncos because they're in a cakewalk division that we will preview later on here. The Jets coming at two. And it was really hard for me to not put them at one, but the reason I put them at two instead of one is all the same reasons as I talked about for the Broncos as far as you know, the Bills are real. The Dolphins are real. Even the Patriots are still there in your own division. Life is going to be hard for the New York Jets. But the difference is I think the Jets are a much better team and a much better roster than the Broncos. So that's why they get all the way up to two for me. Number one, I do believe to be the Detroit Lions. The hype might be a little much. I'm wearing the baby blue, I guess, here today or the Lions blue. The hype might be a little much, but they are trending in the right direction. They are moving towards being a solid franchise. So I don't know if that means winning division. It is a soft division, so that very well may be the case. But again, in such a soft conference, they look good there. But give them credit where it's due as well. Jared Goff, when he has protection, is he's great. He's good. He, he's a very good quarterback when he has a good old line. And the Lions have one of the best in the entire league. Amon Ra is a beast. Jamison Williams will come back at some point in the season. They've got a dynamic duo at running back, we assume. And that defense can't be worse than what it was last year. I expect it to be at least marginally better. Lions take number one in ending the playoff drought. But only one drought really matters when you talk about sports. And that's a title drought. That is a championship drought where you have been without it for a very long time, but these teams are teams that have never tasted the glory. I couldn't even fit them all on this graphic. There are eight on here, 
And there are more that aren't on the list, but the list top to bottom, as far as teams that have never won a Super Bowl since the Super Bowl era goes Vikings, Bills, Bengals, Panthers, Falcons, Chargers, Titans, Cardinals, Browns, Lions, Texans, Jaguars. That is 12 deep. I have eight on the graphic. And again, that's missing a third of the people in the league who have never won. And on the flip side of like the level of parity in the league, as far as making the playoffs, not so much the case for Super Bowls. There are a few teams at the top that hog them from Patriots to Steelers, Niners, Packers, Giants, like just hogging and hoarding Super Bowls. So we're not going to go through all 12 where we're just not. It's just that would take way too long. So some teams you can cross out right away. It was pretty easy to eliminate some of the ones that have no shot this year, namely Panthers out, Falcons out, Titans out, Cardinals out, and then the Texans. Those were the six easiest to eliminate. But after that, it got to be a little tough. But coming in at number five is the Los Angeles Chargers. And they are on here purely purely because of the talent that they have on offense with Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. They drafted a young receiver. They've got Justin Herbert, who's electric. They've got Austin Eckler. Their O-line is at least all right. Uh, Everett's a pretty decent tight end. But I do like the addition of Kellen Moore to running that offense. I think, well, I don't think he's like a top five offensive mind in the league or anything like that. He had a lot of success with the Dallas Cowboys. And I would, I would pick the chargers core of talent over the Cowboys. And then the defense, you've got to think they figure it out. You've got Joey Bosa. You've got Khalil Mack. You've got Derwin James. Like you've got pieces out there to be good. And I think eventually they will figure it out. Lions edge them out, not because they are better, but again, because they are in the NFC. So they are they have a better shot of making it. And if you have a better shot of making it, you have a better shot of winning it. Now we get to really the elite chances at really, really making this happen. The Bills are at three. Hard to put them at this low, but I do think that there is some, some question marks around the Bills right now. Stefan Diggs situation, like, yes, that might be a real thing, but that's not even necessarily the main premise of my concern. My main concern is the defense taking a step back with Leslie Frazier being gone. I don't know if they'll be okay there because the offense took a step back when Brian Dayball went to be the head coach of the Giants and Ken Dorsey stepped in. It was still good. They still started the year awesome, but by the end, they had real problems to where they weren't a true contender. So I do have some concerns there. They will be a still really good team. But again, I have concerns. The Bengals are at two and it was, it's probably not a common take or a a popular take for anyone to put them not at one because they are fantastic. Their concerns, Joe Burrow injury. I'm slightly concerned. Will, Will give me like a two on that as far as two out of 10. My real concern is losing both of your starting safeties when your defense was a big part of your success as a team and why you snuck under the radar defensively was, you know, why you were able to successfully do that was some of that help you had in the, in the defense backfield. And now that is gone. We'll see if the replacements can effectively replace and step in and be at or near that level of production. Number one is the Jaguars. And the reason they edge out the Bengals Not necessarily because they're more talented, but their division is far easier. I think every division in the AFC North is better than the second best team in the AFC South. 
I would take the Steelers, the Ravens, and the Browns over the Titans every day. And then the other two teams are starting rookie quarterbacks, and the Jags are trending in the right direction. They got Calvin Ridley coming back this year, and I truly believe he will be back to peak form, maybe even better than we had seen beforehand. So Jaguars, you are a sneaky pick for getting to the Super Bowl. Not ready to make my predictions quite yet. That'll be probably probably next week, to be entirely honest. But for at least for, for today, they they win this list. So you were able to win one title in your history so far. Now, let's get into what has already been teased, and that is the top 10 interior defensive linemen. And you know what we call those? The grave diggers. They could be the game wreckers too. I kind of went back and forth there, but grave diggers because they can really, they can really kill you <laughs> as far as your offense. Your game plan means nothing if you can't stop these big boys in the middle. And it was honestly one of the hardest lists that we've done so far because you get through like 20 names and you're like, it's time to take a few off. And I really struggled, but Starting at the bottom, at number 10, I gave the nod to Kenny Clark. Kenny has the talent to be higher. He has the talent to be five or four, wherever it might be as far as on this list. But for whatever reason, over his course of his career in Green Bay, he's been very inconsistent. The highs are very high where he looks utterly unblockable. But then the lows, he looks just like a, a non-factor out there. So he's, he's not always digging graves. Sometimes he's taking days off. That being said, he's a very good leader. That is something that coaches say all the time about big KC. So I, I still like him a lot as a player, and I think he's still a top 10 interior defensive lineman in the league here today. Just to get, just edging him out is DJ Reader with the, with the Bengals. And really for him, he is someone who really flies under the radar because he is what makes that Bengals defense go. They, you know, the team obviously looks up to him and they, they understand his importance, but also it's not like they have game records in terms of the, in the box as that defense, he is the game record in the box for the Bengals. And he is a big part of why they are so stingy and why they can do so much on the back end and with the linebackers. So DJ reader is sneaky beast and often kind of goes under the radar when looking at, at top 10 lists. Not, not a position you see a ton of top 10 lists for either. So shout out to the you know interior lineman doing the dirty work. Just edging him out, we stay in the AFC with DeForest Buckner, who you know Colts traded for a couple of years back. And he's done well. He consistently, specifically in the pass game, he is a, he's a very effective pass rusher, and he is able to affect the game consistently in that way. So that is a big part of what does him good there. Now, from here, I think you really get into like those true, like all around game records. Starting at seven, Christian Wilkins, my God. Like every every game you watched the Dolphins last year, you, you saw him. <laughs> you really saw him. <laughs> and then if you watched him on like primetime, you really heard like Chris Collinsworth, for instance, gushing over how good he is. And that was really his breakout year. And I expect that to continue. And with the addition of Vic Vangio as the coordinator there, I, I, to some degree, I expect him to really be unlocked in that regard. 
And he's, I think it's only up from here for Christian Wilkins. And he's a big reason why Dolphins fans should be excited about that defense. So he's got some work to do to get into the elite, elite category. But as of right now, he's already surged way up on these rankings. Now, the top six, I think, are really unquestionable as far as these being the best six in the game in whatever order you prefer. Now, me, number six is Cameron Hayward. Absolute monster for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And if Drake were on here, he would probably be pushing back and having him at like three or four. And I couldn't really argue with him because Cam has had incredible success over the entirety of his career. He's, well, I think he's 34 years old now. So you've got to think sooner or later he takes some level of a step back. But either way, even if he does, a step back for him puts him as the sixth best at his position in the entire league. So he's the freaking beast. And as are these next big boys on the list here too. But while we are halfway, I'll pull up the entirety of the list so you can kind of see where we're going there, where we've been, where we're trending towards. So you see reviewing the bottom half of the top 10, you got six Cam Hayward, seven Christian Wilkins, eight DeForest Buckner, nine DJ Reader, and 10 Kenny Clark. Now our top five here starts with big John Allen, Jonathan Allen with the commanders. He's someone who this is partially projection as far as his way up into being a top five individual at this position. He's got all the talent in the world. I think it's just time for him to do it. He's had effectiveness already in the league. It's not like he's been a no-show, but he can take his game to the next level. But these top four, man, they these, these other guys are problems, yeah. But these are guys where you've got to scheme. Like, you've got to really pay attention for your entirety of your offense on these guys if you want to do anything. Dexter Lawrence destroyed games last year, namely the Packers. We could not block him to save our lives. He was a game wrecker by definition. Quinnen Williams is not just a game wrecker. He is a grave digger. He will kill your team. And you see him on hard knocks this year. He's got the personality, big Q. He's an utter beast, and O-lines can't handle him. I, I like Quinnen a lot. I think he's he's undoubtedly the third best in the league behind Jones and Donald, and he may pass Donald the next few years as Donald nears retirement. But back to Chris Jones, we talked about him earlier as far as why he's such a monster. Nothing to repeat there. He's the second best behind only Aaron Donald, who is mythical as far as his abilities as a uh, as a lineman in this league. So there you have it, list one through ten. And it was, again, a very difficult list to, to do this way as far as being able to, to touch on uh, on all these different guys that deserve shout-outs, but only 10 could make the list. And that'll bring us to the last topic for here today, and that's going to be getting back to the divisional previews, which I decided to call this top-down preview. And the reason is because we're going – Florida ceiling, you know, where is the highest that a team can go? Where's the lowest that a team can be? And what is going to allow them to, to be within there? Like how are they landing? So this week, after last week's NFC North preview, we're going to jump into the NFC South. First up, Carolina Panthers. This is a tough team. They have the number one pick. So let's start negative. Their floor is 5-12. There's a lot of ways this team can flop, uh, starting of which, obviously, the obvious one is if Bryce Young flops, then this team has no shot. But 
the flip side, a part of what might lead to that is they're going to, they could, or they will, but they could really miss DJ Moore to the point to where their offense can't move the ball. And if that plus an O-line that isn't all that great, and then if the defense regresses at all, this could be a very bad football team and they could be kicking themselves over giving up their first round pick to the Chicago Bears who will be, you know, money in the bank at that point. So things can go very wrong for the Panthers. That being said, let's be positive. Things can go right for them in that division. Their ceiling is 9-8, and and it's a bad division. So their ceiling is winning that bad division. Let's say their defense not only stays the same but gets better. You see improvements from Brian Burns and and J.C. Horn. Like they've, They've got some nice players. And if Bryce Young is a hit and at least better than last year's duos of P.J. Walker, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, which by the record I believe he will be, If he's better than them, then you can really hit that ceiling. And then the other aspect is what if Miles Sanders brings a pop into that running back game? Because they were able to run the ball really damn well at the end of last year with Foreman and and Chuba, uh, Chuba Hubbard, who is still there too. So if Sanders can bring another level to that run game, they can be, they can be very good in that way. All right. And for the for the next team on here, we got to go into the Falcons, which again, this can go a lot of ways. Their floor is four and thirteen. Their floor is being one of the worst football one of the worst football teams in the league. If Desmond Ritter is a mess and the weapons, the young weapons you invested in don't emerge, Kyle Pitts, namely, remains a missing in action every week, then your team's not going to be any good. That's the way that it goes. But I think the ceiling for them, much like the Panthers, is also nine and eight with this division of mediocrity. If Ritter can at least be competent, he establishes himself as a real quarterback. The young weapons, instead of hiding, they emerge. Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Bajan Robinson. If those guys, plus the guys they've already had, can take a leap and be really good for them, they can be really good as a whole. And they did make big additions on defense. They brought in safeties. They brought in uh, Calais Campbell, which is a forgotten one, especially. So if they do that, they can be a a pretty solid team, one that's pesky and annoying and maybe even fights into the playoffs. The Buccaneers, it's exact same floor and ceiling for them too. Floor, things could go bad in Tampa Bay. Floor is 4-13. and They could be number one pick type of bad. If that run game is still terrible, last year they were number 32 in the league. If it stays like that, this is probably where they'll be. If Baker struggles and gets benched, yikes. If Mike Evans doesn't get 1,000 yards, that would be tragic because of the record he has there. Overall, if morale is down post-Brady, then they might be in the position where they're having a fire sale at the deadline, where they are trading uh, they're trading White. They're trading David. They might trade one of those receivers. Like if they get to that point, that would be utterly devastating as a franchise. Now they're ceiling, much like the previous two teams. Again, nine and eight. It's like those teams are all like this. They're all neck and neck as far as their talent level. Now, if Baker does flourish, especially with the elite receiver duo that they have, if the run game at least emerges to be decent and the defense gets back to being dominant, they can be more towards the ceiling than their floor. So it's not all it's not all doom and gloom in Tampa Bay, but uh be careful. There is some uh there is a storm a brewing if you're not uh if you don't tread lightly. Now the cream of the crop in this division is easily the Saints, easily. I think their floor is 7 and 10. 
this will not be an awful football team. But what would allow them to not live up to where they want to be is if Derek Carr doesn't live up to what they want him to be. If Derek Carr is just subpar, the 25th best quarterback in the league, like this offense ain't going to be really good. If Michael Thomas doesn't play, if Olave stays the same or regresses, then Dennis Allen's going to get fired during the year. If they have a seven and 10 season, he's gone. Now, on the flip side, which I think is more likely not to get to this ceiling, but I think they'll be close to it. And their ceiling is 12 and five, which does seem high when you think of the Saints. But again, if the Saints get back to dominance in a soft NFC, if Michael Thomas is healthy, him and Olave could really go off. They could snap together. And Jamal Williams and Alvin Kamara, that could form an elite running back duo. Think of how Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift were last year on the Lions. Kamara is better than Swift. So if you combine those two, that could be really special. That defense has is always dominant to some degree and maybe could even be a little bit better this year. And if by the end of the season, you look back and Carr was the, the only missing piece for you, that can be a reality when it comes to getting to your ceiling, that 12 and five ceiling. I think for them in a playoff ceiling, it's probably winning a playoff game, losing in the divisional round. Cause I do like the saints a lot, but not enough to where they're going to beat the lights of the, the Eagles, the Niners, the Cowboys, especially not back to back, which you really have to do in the playoffs once those come around. So I, I couldn't give them anything more than a divisional round appearance, but for the Saints and you know where they've been the last few years, post Drew Brees, post Sean Payton, that would be a massive W. Now, we're halfway through the NFC and the, uh, the top-down previews here, and we'll have to be getting busy on those next week, and we can continue these top 10 player like, rankings, the lists, into the season, so no problem there. But that'll wrap up today, episode 34. So thank you, everyone, for joining in for the the solo dolo episode this week. And I don't know if I uh, said it at the beginning, but this is the Giannis episode. Not sure if I did, but got to make sure because got to give some respect to the GOAT. But thank you again for joining in this week. Next week, we will be really diving into the full-on predictions uh, next week and the following week as well for the NFL as we wrap up our preview and get into real football. So watch the other shows that we have, the other episodes that we have on YouTube, Spotify, and make sure to give us a follow on those platforms as well as Instagram. We make a lot of great content there, but that'll wrap up for episode 34 and look forward to bringing it to you again next week.